We are going to begin chapter 6, certainly not going to get through all of it uh, this morning, but we're going to start with chapter 6, verse 1, and we are going to read and study down through uh, verse 21. Before I read it, I just want to mention this. Uh, that what we're going to be looking at here is the miracle that Jesus performed in changing uh, or multiplying bread uh, in the feeding of the 5,000. One of the things I just want to bring to our attention is the fact that this is the only, only miracle of Jesus when it comes to healing that is included in all four of the Gospels. When we see things like that, it should get our attention. We should realize something from the very get-go that this is important, important enough that of all the material, and just remember what John has written in the very beginning of this, this Gospel, he's He says that now there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written. I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So just imagine all of the the different things that Jesus did and all that Jesus spoke. What a pool that all of the gospel writers had to draw from. And it is very important for us to understand uh, that this was something that they all saw to be very important for you and I to hear uh, this morning. So read with me, if you would. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his, his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had uh, had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill... He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples uh, went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the Sea of Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. 
But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Well, Jesus and the disciples have now left Jerusalem once again, and they returned back to Galilee. A large crowd was following them uh, because they saw the signs that he was doing by healing people. Remember the, the fellow at uh, the, the pool at Bethesda that Jesus had healed and, uh, and all the clamor that had resulted in Jerusalem as a result of that Jesus is now miraculously healing people uh, with every type of physical affliction and ailment. One of the things I think that we need to take note of here is that we live in a day when mankind has made unbelievable advancements in medicine. Uh, we just celebrated last year Dottie Pittman's 100th year birthday, not last year, but this year. We've had a number of people in our church turn 90 over the last year. We live in a very unique age. Uh, and we know that a lot of that has to do with all the medical advancements that have been made in the last century. I just want to remind you of this. I read this somewhere, and, and I can't tell you for for certainly that it's factual, but I read somewhere recently that in 1900, the lifespan of people on earth was 45 years, the average. So we know that modern medicine has made great advancements in our day, and we understand also as well that these are great gifts given to us by God, that this is not man's doing, this is God's doing, that he's greatly lengthened our lifespans. And I would challenge us with the idea this morning that he's done that for his own reasons. Certainly because it's a benefit to us, but at the same time, uh, just think of all the additional days that we have to tell other people about Jesus and to be encouragers of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and I just want to remind us that even though our days uh, get longer and longer, we do have a mission, and that mission is always to tell people, to tell other beggars where to find bread, as we said before. We don't have the details of all these healings that Jesus is doing in the, in the Gospel of John or any of the other Gospels or all the Gospels combined. We need to understand that. This is not just one or two things that Jesus is doing. He's doing these types of miracles over and over and over again, and he's healing everyone from every conceivable thing. There's only been two healings in the Gospel of John so far. One was the official son uh, that had come to Jesus and asked that he would heal his son. The other one was the invalid at the pool of, called Bethesda. And in both cases, Jesus simply speak the words, spoke the words, and those people were healed. 
And this is what he's continuing to do as he's traveling through the countryside. Multitudes of people are coming to him with every physical ailment conceivable to man. And he's healing people. And we can understand because of that that a very large crowd was being drawn to Jesus. If you and I heard about something like that going on in our day, do you think that we might at least be curious enough to go and see what was going on? But again, I want to remind us this morning that, uh, that this particular miracle of healing is one that we find in all four Gospels, so it's probably one of those that we really need to take special note of. This miracle, not this miracle of healing, but this miracle that Jesus performs. As we read, it should remind us of some things, and one of those is the fact that Jesus went up on the mountain really sounds very much like people like Moses going up on the mountain, like Elijah going up on the mountain. You know, we see this over and over in Scripture, that there is a sense that there is a, there is a way for people to get closer to God is to go up to the high places. You even see that reflected in the, the, the ancient pagan religions. You know, the temples typically were located on high places. But in a sense, we see here Jesus following somewhat in the steps of Moses. Now, can you put, imagine putting your, shoes, your feet in the, the shoes of Philip? <laughs> and Jesus hitting you with his demand <laughs> or question what really is a demand where do we divide a bread but buy bread so these people may eat now we remember Philip because Philip was Andrew's brother and Philip was introduced as one of the very first disciples called by Jesus all the way back in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. But Philip doesn't even respond to what Jesus, uh, Jesus says. His mind immediately shifts to financial matters. I mean, his main concern is this is not so much about the bread. It's about where to get the money to buy the amount of bread that would be necessary to feed this great multitude of people. He says that 200 denarii would not be enough. Now, basically a denarii was the average wage of a worker that worked a whole day's work. So what we're talking about here is a very sizable amount of money. The amount of money that somebody worked every day would have to work eight months to earn it. And not only that, we understand that they probably, it's, it's very unlikely, almost certain, that they didn't have that much money in their money box that they carried with them that Judas took care of. And partly because Judas took care of it.
Now, I've already messed up something. You need to understand that Philip was not Andrew's, was not Peter's brother. Andrew was. Now, Andrew, Peter's brother, speaks up. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and small fish. Now, some things you need to make note of. Barley was the least favored of the grains. You know, barley, uh, barley bread was something that only the most... Uh, uh, most feeble and uh, and, uh, and and moneyless people uh, ate. Uh, now, there are people. There are so-called Bible Bible scholars who have come up with what they think are innovative ways of explaining this stuff away because they don't believe that Jesus actually performed miracles. People that would be called liberal Bible scholars, and you need to understand that there are people gathered together in churches this morning as we are speaking who, who under, believe this kind of stuff. They go by the name of Christian. Uh, one that I read was this, is that what Jesus did here was that this, uh, he, he saw this little boy that had, his mother had had the insight to, to package a lunch for him, which he brought for him, uh, for himself, uh, and Jesus, uh, it was brought to Jesus' attention, so Jesus used this boy as an example, and he just encouraged the boy to take what he had and to share it with other people, and that certainly there were other people who had brought their lunch with them as well, and so he was an example of how to encourage all these other people to share their food that they brought with other people. Oh, doesn't that amaze you? Another one that I read was that supposedly Jesus and the disciples had come upon a cave close by that had food stores in it, and they just took those food stores and spread them out amongst the people. Do you understand that this is what so-called liberal Christianity is, that it wants to, it has to, it demands to explain away all the miraculous acts of Jesus Christ. We don't believe that. We, don't, we, we know, in fact, that Jesus performed this miracle. That he took very little and he made a whole lot more out of it. The truth is this, is that when they all was said and done, at the end of all of it, he actually made more than they even needed. Because when you, when you sum up all the, the parts and pieces that were left, the leftovers, and you... And, and you, you Consider all of it, it was actually more than they had started with. Now, it would be it been really nice, I think, for us to, be, to have been there and to see this, this miracle with our own eyes and to hear the teaching of Jesus with our own ears. But I want to remind us this morning that God is the one and only miracle worker. And he works miracles all the time. And that you yourself don't even have to look beyond yourself to see perhaps the greatest example of a miracle that you will ever experience in your whole lifetime. 
And that is this, that you were dead in your trespasses and his spirit came upon you and he caused you to be born again. So I just want to challenge all of us this morning with the idea that the truth or reality is this, is that we all have experienced intimately, legitimately, a bona fide miracle of Jesus Christ, and I am it. And we should all be able to say that. It should not amaze you and I at all that Jesus did this sort of thing. I want you to understand something, that modern science has made lots of advancements, and most of you know that before I became a believer, I was a scientist. I have a master's degree in biology. I have taught college-level biology and chemistry and etc. What took place here defies every scientific law that man has derived. Jesus is making or multiplying matter. He's taking a little of substance and making more and more substance out of it. There is a basic law of chemistry that says matter can neither be created or destroyed. That the amount of matter that is here in the universe is exactly the same amount of matter that has been around ever since the Big Bang. But through chemical reactions, you can change the form of that matter. But what I'm telling you is, uh, according to modern science, there is no more matter that is being created today. And you need to understand something. Jesus made new matter when he made this bread multiply and the fish multiply. There is nothing that modern science can do that comes close to what Jesus is doing in this miracle. Only something that God can do. Only God can make matter. And that's what Jesus is doing. defies, in fact, what he's doing defies every scientific law you can think of. It's not the first time that we have such a miracle like this taking place in Scripture. Elisha did it. The prophet Elisha took some barley loaves and multiplied them at one point. But we understand it wasn't really Elisha doing it. It was God working through him.
that did it. On the other hand, we understand that Jesus himself is actually doing this. Which means this, that because he's doing it, it demands an answer, and the answer is this, that because Jesus is able to do things like this, then he can be nothing less than God himself. Just remember that the Pharisees, after he healed the man at Bethesda, they were trying to find Jesus and, and because they wanted to, to arrest him and bring charges on, on him because he was calling God, his Father, thereby making himself out to be God. And what this miracle does and what many, with all the miracles that Jesus does through all those years of ministry is to, to, to just not to show us that he's from God, but to, in fact, demonstrate to us very clearly that he, in fact, is God. Nicodemus has said already, remember this, back in John chapter 3, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus said, as well, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. He's also said this, the very works that I do bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus creating. Multiplying physical matter. It really is amazing that there were so many people there that witnessed all of this. And you wonder, ultimately, in the end, how many conversions took place as a result of it. You would think that every person there, <laughs> but we have good reason to believe that's just not what happens. We need to understand that there were people who saw this sort of thing Jesus do, and at the same time their heart was so hardened and it remained so hardened that they did not come to faith in him. They did not receive him as their Lord and Savior, and as their God. And that's not the end of the story. These disciples witnessed this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 from so little to begin with. There are two more miracles that they have the privilege of experiencing on that very same day.
late in the day. They got in the boat and they started heading to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus stayed behind and went up on the mountain and prayed. Remember that? And as they were out on the lake and a storm had come up and they were not making much progress at all. And they were out in the boat. And the next thing they know, Jesus comes walking on top of the water toward them. Mark tells us that they thought that he was a ghost. Now you can imagine that might be the first thing that would go through your mind if you saw something like that happening. Because people simply do not walk on water. Now we make jokes about it. You know, so-and-so was so scared by this, that, and the other that he could have walked on water trying to get away. But you and I have never in our whole lifetime seen anybody actually walk on water. We know that it defies absolutely those scientific laws of gravity that we learned when we were in school. Wouldn't it be really neat if you could do something like that? Ever thought about that when you were a kid? I used to have dreams about things and... You know, I would think about things. How cool it would be if I could do this, that, or the other. But, but can you imagine the attention you would get from people if they saw you absolutely, completely, truly walking on water? Frozen water. <laughs> well, I seriously doubt the Sea of Galilee ever freezes. So, <laughs> uh, But anyway, again, I mean, what does this tell us? I mean, this is something that only God can do. Only God can do these kinds of things. Again, this act of Jesus defies every physical law of nature, of science that you and I are aware of. I mean, we know that people can float on water, and we know that people float better on salt water than they do on fresh water. And oh, by the way, the Sea of Galilee is fresh water. It's not seawater. But do me a favor. The next time you see someone walking on water, please give me a call. And if you're close by, please come get me because I want to see it as well. Again, only God can violate these things that we call scientific laws and principles. And Jesus has absolutely no difficulty whatsoever in doing that. Well, one of the interesting things is this, is 5,000 plus people experienced Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fish, and only 12 men watched him walk on water. You see, Jesus revealed himself to lots of people in lots of different ways, but most particular and most specifically, he revealed himself more and more to those guys that we call the apostles. 
they probably saw Jesus do things like this every day. It probably got to the point, maybe there was a little joke going around in them, here he goes again. And in the apostles, we see this picture of real human nature that even though they experienced Jesus Christ in a manner that no one else did, all of them, when push comes to shove, will deny him. Sometimes we want to put people up on pedestals as being these great super saints. And maybe there are some that fall in that category but we need to understand that these 12 guys these apostles were just as human as you and I are just as fallible as you and I are they were given a great privilege that no one else had and that is to see Jesus do so much to prove that he in fact is the son of God It's a shame because there are some people that, that really believe that the principal message uh, for Christians to bring away from this is a message of compassion because Jesus had compassion on the masses that we need to be compassionate toward other people as well. Is that a lesson that you and I should get from it? You bet it is, but it certainly is not in any way, shape, or form the central message of this passage that we've read this morning. The thing about it is, is this is not the end of miracles for the day for those 12 guys. Jesus got in the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Can you imagine? I mean, we have some sense that they were like maybe in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They were there battling the storm and this, that, and the other. And the other scriptures tell us they had, they had been rowing for hours and they hadn't made much headway because of this wind and because of the storm that had descended upon them. But Jesus got in the boat in whammo-bammo. They're at the dock. I would say that these guys have had a full and eventful day. Sometimes it would be nice. It would be nice just to see one miracle like this happen. Sometimes people wonder why Jesus was restrictive in what he did in, in the company to, in which he did it. Because, I mean, you would think that if the whole world saw what Jesus was doing, that the whole world would have been converted. But 
But I just want to remind us that this was part of the mission of Jesus, was to come, and what he was doing here, he was manifesting God amongst mankind in a manner that he never had been before. In other words, God himself was visiting people and making himself known to people. How in the world can you and I take that principle and apply it to ourselves? Well, some of us know this. We are privy, we are aware of miraculous healings and things that Jesus does even today. There's no one in this room, I suppose, that would believe for one minute that Jesus could not heal Deborah Redmond from this kidney cancer at any moment in time that he wishes to do that. If we be, believe anything less than that, then we don't really know our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God Almighty. There is no malady among men. There's nothing that you suffer from. There's nothing that I suffer from that Jesus couldn't take away immediately simply by speaking the words. But he doesn't do that all the time. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he doesn't. You know why? Because he loves you enough not to. Because he knows that we're a bunch of hot, hard heads. That things don't seep in very easily with us. But just remember this. Of all the miracles that you know of, The one of greatest mystery to you ought to always be this. Why me? Why have you miraculously saved? In Deuteronomy, we read the words that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. We understand that the word of God, in essence, is the bread of God. Something that we all have very readily available to us 24-7. There is no one in this room that is lacking a Bible, and if you don't have one, let me know, and I'll have one in your hot little hands as quick as you can say it. But Bibles that are not used are worthless. We have the bread. The Bible. 
Now, I know that people are going on all these crazy starvation diets today where they're eating almost nothing and that sort of thing. But you hear me say this all the time, and you're going to hear it as long as I stand in this pulpit, and I'm going to encourage you over and over and over again to be in the Word. Don't just wait for Sunday morning to come here and, and wait for me to tell you what it says. God has given us the food that our spirit desperately, desperately needs. And the sad thing is this, is people who would never think about starving their body sometimes basically starve their spirit. We have to give that spirit a regular, healthy diet of God's Word. Just remember, as Moses said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from God's mouth.